everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, as always, Timochin, hosting all the way from Chicago. And with me today, we have our usual crew with Paul Bickler. Paul, what's going on? Uh, school starts for the kids this week. I'm ready for it. Uh, yeah, you you look more excited than the kids, that's for sure. Uh, Gally is also with us. What's going on, Gally? Not much. Just up here living life in New England. Excited. Uh Crew football is back. What a great first weekend we had. Yes. I just don't know if it was, you know, the anticipation of like waiting for games for so long. The fact that the fans were there and it was the real thing. It just felt normal. And like compared to, you know, like what we watched last year and stuff like that. It just felt more normal. I felt like I was doing like a Premier League weekend again. Uh, season is just starting for Layla soccer so I have like all weekends open now which is like a rarity during like you know regular soccer season so uh, it was good to like kind of like pick the games I want to watch and do all that kind of stuff so great start for Liverpool obviously helps the cause so we will start with our game we did for the very first time and kind of like an instant reaction post-match video kind of thing you two gentlemen were too cool to show up now i'm just saying uh but uh we had like some uh, contributors from the website join us uh jordan gerard and mateusz uh it was pretty interesting it's a good test run but we will be doing that weekly and maybe eventually we'll scare people into watching this podcast in video format too but be careful what you wish for on that so let's start with the game and talk about, let's start with, I guess, the very beginning, which will be the starting lineups. We talked about it last podcast, and neither one of us got that right, because we none of us, I don't think, saw Van Dyke starting, and we always thought, we all thought, I thought, I think Fab would be starting. So, Bickler, you see that lineup, uh, how, I guess, con- I, I know I was a little concerned, but I don't know if you were or not, I'm just a warrior by nature. So, uh, how concerned were you, or how shocked were you when you saw that eleven? Uh, very shocked and very concerned. And, um, I don't, I did not, and I still do not love starting Van Dyke in the first game available back for the season. Um, Chris Norwich of all teams, I just felt like, you know, he could, we could probably slowly run him in the next two to three weeks, but Hey, I mean, I mean, Klopp knows the players, right? We, we, we see what we see and he sees them every day. So, I mean, he obviously felt comfortable Thankfully, Van Dyke looked a lot more comfortable back there than he had the rest of the preseason. Um, you know, maybe that's what the squad needed. I just, <clears throat> for my heart and my nerves, I didn't need to see that. Um, yeah, and I, of course, was surprised that Fabinho was not out there as well. So, yeah. I wonder if that was kind of like part of the decision, like it had to be one or the other. What do you think, Gally? Because I feel like maybe if Fab was there, we could have kind of just start out there. Like somebody had to kind of watch the center of defense kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, my whole point in the podcast last week was spot on with Paul. I thought Van Dyke should be rested, would be rested. So the gamble in my mind to play him was just that. Now you got to play eventually. And I'm sure he was in the gaffer's ear asking to play, telling the physios he felt good. They did all the tests. What clear to me was, was that Fab couldn't play 90 minutes. And as soon as he couldn't play, he knew he needed Virgil van Dyke out there, not just because the best number six in the world wasn't sitting in front, but because a 35-year-old man was going to deputize for the best number six in the world, who naturally says he does not like playing a defensive uh, holding position, which is why I was most nervous to see that Ox was in the lineup. 
was because that meant Milner was deep. So when we were on the Discord talking about the lineup, for me, it was Ox's inclusion that was so shocking to me. Um, not so much after Jurgen's comments earlier in the week because he likes to reward people and he likes to tell us ahead of time when he's about to do something, which I think is always fun uh, with Jurgen when you read into his press conferences. Um, but I think the idea that Ox started was what gave me the nerves because it kind of meant we were going to have four to five missing starters, uh, which is pretty remarkable when we were all excited that we got our players back and we were missing five key players. Yeah. I want to go back to Ox. Cause I know when we were talking about it, I was kind of looking forward to it. Uh, probably like one of the most, we talked about who, which players like impressed us the most in the preseason or kind of made us optimistic and Ox was one of them. So Obviously, this game, at least to me, was kind of like a huge disappointment in terms of like, you know, what he brought on. But uh, how about up front? Uh, I, I can't recall, but I'm pretty sure we all kind of expected Bobby just because we kind of thought we were going to press. Did any of us pick Jutta? Um, oh, I you did pick Jutta, Gallagher. But so, it was only, but that was basically purely because I thought that it was coming too quick and that he hadn't started one of the preseason matches yet, really, and hadn't played extended minutes and I just thought Jota had played a lot more and he'd get a start. Um, but I was not surprised to see him get included into the, you know, lineup in the second half. And he did play well and got us our first goal, which also brings me to the trivia of the week. Just in case you guys thought I forgot it. I might have forgot it initially, but now I remember that is the trivia of the week. So trivia of the week so far is, how many goals has Diogo Jota scored in the Premier League and how many of them have been for Liverpool? Bickler, as always, we throw you under the bus first. Don't even complain. This is just how we roll. Like total goals? And then how many total for Liverpool? goals in Premier League and how many of them are Liverpool? Come on, man. The second one is actually easy, I think. But Oh, yeah. Second one's super easy when it's sitting in front of you, you weirdo. Um... <laughs> I would, I would, I would so go smart. like, yeah, oh, it's super easy. Let me just plug it in here. Um, I, I guess I'll go 11 Premier League goals for Liverpool. Uh, I will say a nice round number. Let me say 35 total in the Premier League. So 35 and 11 is your guess. Yeah. Okay. Galia, what do you have? I'm going to go a little less. I think he's maybe scored 31 goals, and that's just random. Uh, 31 goals total. And I think he's got 12 for Liverpool, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Okay, we'll get back to this. You guys are mighty close, actually. Well, Paul isn't, as always, but, you know, it got closer and closer as we went. So... <laughs> Paul hates the trivia. So, Paul, since you hate the trivia, why did you tell us about the front three? What did you think of Bobby's, you know, the Brazilians coming back in the second half? And actually, it really worked, and it worked really well. But, I mean, how did you think, in terms of, like, how it played out in the first half of the game? Uh, I mean, it played out great. I didn't love it at first because, for me, like we talked about before the game, like, if you're not going to start Fabinho, I think it's very important to have Bobby in there to sort of provide that press in that counterattack. Um, so, yeah, for me, if you're not starting five, you better start Bobby. 
Um, and luckily, it didn't matter. They, I mean, they, the front three looked great. I think Sadio looked a lot fresher than he's looked in a long time. Um, Jota obviously does what Jota does with the that really sort of direct uh, run uh, from the center of the park. And then Mo was like dynamic, like he was just incredible. He set up everything. He had that like incredible first touch for his goal for the third. Um, yeah, man, they look good. They look fresh. And I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Last year we were like, we talked about all the missed chances and part of that happens when you create a lot of chances, but we were also talking about how like the whole squad just looks so incredibly legged last year. So um, yeah, it was good to see them looking fresh. Especially those two up front. Yeah. Like Mane and Mo just looked different. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell. It's a minimal difference because obviously they have, you know, they always have the speed and stuff like that. It's a minimal difference maybe, but it makes a huge difference in the end results, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. But so I want to kind of like talk about individual performances uh, before we kind of like evaluate the whole game uh, in its entirety. But uh, for defense, Van Dyke, you know, we talked about him kind of like being shocked to be a starter, and he did look off pace. So, Galley, I mean, obviously, it's unfair to expect him to come back. Uh, the passing, which we missed uh, from the back, is long passing. That was definitely back. I mean, uh, it was on point most of the time. Uh, but you could kind of tell he even let Pookie, who was not the fastest guy, get behind him a couple of times and kind of, you know, we recovered and it didn't hurt us except one like Allison save in the first half. Um, how concerned should we be or this fixture, especially with the now the Burnley game coming up, kind of like helps us in terms of easing him in before we, you know, head to the Chelsea game, for example? I think we have to be patient with the idea that the man hasn't played competitive football in 18 months. You know, it's, it's a long time that he's been out, um, or not 18 months, I'm sorry, in 10 months. And that 10 months time, th that's a big period for a player who plays with so much speed. What I think we're going to have to do is going to have to adapt the high line a little bit, just like we did at times last year with Nat. Like, you have to play to the players in which you're playing with. And I think when we go up against a Leicester City, if he's not back to 100%, they're going to have to, one of the two center backs are going to have to drop off a little bit on that high line. Or I do think that we're going to run into some situations where the closing speed that we've become so used to seeing from Virgil just isn't there against, say, someone like a Jamie Vardy or uh, an Antonio at West Ham, et cetera, a real counterattacking team. So I think we're going to have to be careful there. Um, but overall, he was back in the lineup. He was pinging balls all over the field and he should have scored two in the first half. And I think him back on set pieces and the aerial prowess and how much it opens up other of the big hitters on the set pieces is going to be huge. And I think we'll go right back to the top of the Premier League table in goals from set pieces, something we were at near towards the bottom last year. Yeah, and I hope that helps us uh, get away from, I know, all our favorite, uh, the short corner. Because uh, I felt like every long corner was working. So I don't even know why we would occasionally switch it up. Because the goal that Mo scored the third goal, uh, we were talking about it in the post-match too. I mean, that opportunity almost appeared like three, four times in the first half as well, where 
the ball was kind of like headed out, but it was like outside the box where it was only us. Cause I think Gally, you're right. Like they're so worried about, you know, when Van Dyke is in there uh, and Matip is good actually too on those set pieces. So it kind of like makes them crowd out the box a lot more, leaving some open space outside. Uh, Bickler, what did you take, you know, make of Van Dyke's performance overall? Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty solid. Like I said, I thought, I thought he just looked a little bit more comfortable positionally and like <clears throat> I am being overly cautious on this. And like, I think that we need to understand that like the quick twitch stuff may not be back for a long time and it may not ever be back the way it was before. Uh, not everybody is Danny Ings and like tears ACLs for fun. And then is back eight months later. Like it, it's like a lot of players, uh, especially the big guys don't get that back. So um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm wait and see, right? But I think what I think what Van Dyke, I think what he brings to this squad is a sense of calm and assuredness at the back that's not generally there when he's out. And I think that uh, sometimes he almost has like a metaphysical or like a spiritual presence in the side apart from his actual physical ability. And I think that's really really important for this team, especially when Henderson's out. So. Um, I think from that standpoint, I, I think that he provides a lot. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm very cautiously optimistic with him, uh, but I think it's going to take a while for some of that, that sort of quick twitch stuff to come back. Yeah, he's almost like the, the captain of the defense defense and like the defensive line and stuff like that back there, kind of like controlling the show, especially, and that's the next player I want to talk to, is when you have like a – new left back in some ways in sort of robo if they have like costa out there um what did you guys make of his performance i know especially as he got tired and started making mistakes both van dyke and milner were kind of uh half you know slapping him into consciousness uh half patting him on the back and stuff like that but what did you make of our grief greek left back there galley all right um i'd rate his 90 minutes similar to paul he was good. He did well. But because he got so gassed with 10 minutes to go and literally ran out, I'd say, like, you have to knock down a little bit because he really made a lot of mistakes towards the end of the game. And if that's a one-goal game, it's one of those mistakes, lapse in judgment can be really critical. That said, you make mistakes and you learn from them. The kids showed up, had to start a game, the first game in a newly promoted stadium, which means you got a huge crowd, you have people running at you. Um, he actually had the second most crosses into the box of any player in the Premier League in the first weekend. Twelve successful crosses into the box. I thought he took. The, I thought he <laughs> took. What was that? I just yelled "stat of the day" at you. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, <laughs> I finally have won an award. Took five podcasts to have someone yell. No, absolutely no homework allowed on the show. What are we doing? It wasn't homework. I just heard it, so I repeated it. That's yeah, just almost stealing. like that's came really... prepared and stuff. It's trying to that's show not prepared. That's just that's just <laughs> I heard it and remembered it. This is one of five chances in that. But to be totally honest, he was great going forward, and that was what I was most afraid we would miss. I think he delivered the best set pieces of the match. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's a big key. Going forward, to be honest with you, I personally wasn't 
as worried going forward, maybe the chemistry with Mane not being as great as, you know, what Robo has with Mane. It's almost like they know where they was going to make a run. You could kind of tell that they were not always on the same page, and that's nothing natural. I was slightly worried about that. I felt he would be fine going forward because we've seen that. He has the pace, and I don't know if everybody's going to keep biting that move where he fakes the cross with the left and takes it to the right, but he can cross with both legs, which is kind of like a plus because uh, he had delivered a couple of nice crosses with the right as well. Uh, but I was worried about defensively and that, you know, that brain fart moment he had where he just sat on the, like, he just literally froze on the ball. It felt like, it felt like forever. It looked like it took 30 seconds before like somebody actually pressured and got the ball from him. But that kind of had to be just being tired and not being out there 90 minutes in a premier league game. I mean, I know they play preseason and stuff like that, but it's just not the same intensity. And kind of like you're saying, Gally, just being, in an away stadium that's finally loud and kind of like kind of getting your head and stuff like that. But I mean, performance overall, I think has to be above anyone's expectations. I would think you're deputizing for the best left back in the world in a team that a lot of what makes them go are the play of their fullbacks. So you immediately have that pressure on you. I think to do that after not making a single start all last year and the up and down year he had, I think you got to be impressed with at least the fact that even when he had the brain fart, he didn't turtle, he didn't shy away from the next tackle, and he seemed engaged with his teammates. And I always find it fitting when the match ended, every single player made a beeline to him the same way they went to Harvey Elliott that same way they grabbed Cujo last year. And that shows that he's liked in training. These guys are happy he got his moment and he got to contribute to the success. And I, I think that's what makes this club so special. And I think when you see those things, you know that they care about these players. You know, the clap hugs are real because there's certain players who don't get as many as others. Yeah, that's true. And I, that's another thing, actually. I think having Van Dyke probably helped them over having Konate. So that could have been yet another reason why, you know, we rolled the dice with Van Dyke, knowing no Fab and no um, uh, Robertson on the left-hand side. Having said that, how about that right-hand side? Our boy Matip, I thought, had like an absolute awesome game. And Trent was back to his regular self. And I thought he played well defensively as well. So overall defensive line, Bickler, what's your take on that? Uh, overall defensive line, I thought they played pretty well in general. Like, you know, I think we hit uh, Samikas to death, but I thought he had arguably the best first half of anyone on the pitch. Um, and then, you know, my thoughts on Matip, I think he's criminally underrated. I think he's probably our best on the ball center back. Um, I mean, he's, he's running on the overlap on the right side for Christ's sake, which is incredible to see. Um, yeah, he was constantly dangerous during set pieces. Uh, and then of course, Trent just, I mean, Trent looked like somebody who quietly felt like they were the best player on the pitch and like, we forget how young he is. And that's so amazing to see just this quiet assuredness. Um, you know, his delivery from the right, right essentially creates that first goal. Uh, I thought the thing about Trent, uh, very similar to Samikas, is I thought that Trent was incredibly good defensively when he was on, um, especially those first 65 minutes. Like he was, he was, 
winning aerial duels. He was stripping the ball on 50-50 challenges. Like, I thought his defensive work um, was just as good as he was going forward, which we don't often say about him. Yeah, I thought, like I said, that right side of that defensive line, it would just – they both had like an awesome game. So let me ask you guys this. I mean, I've always put him as number two on this team, um, mostly because of what how he is on the ball for Matip. But um, obviously Gomez is going to take some time to kind of like work himself in. I almost feel like we probably won't see him until after the international break, perhaps. Or, you know, and that will be, you know, like a cup game or something like that. But so do you guys think if you have... Uh, let's go American football style depth chart going here is Konade three behind Matip or is just, you know, a matter of time before Konate plays next to Van Dyke galley. What do you think? Well, I think he starts third on the depth chart. Cause I think we've seen anything with the few amount of signings we've made over the years since Jurgen Klopp took over. You earn the right to win the number one job and you do that through a lot of training and then some great play in games. So I think it's going to take a couple cup matches or coming out of, you know, the international break and maybe not being able to start uh, Van Dyke in a match for Kanate to get his Premier League bow. Um, I think Klopp's going to play Virgil Van Dyke and Matip together until he has a reason not to, because he understands consistency is one of the big keys in a system like his. What do you think, Paul? I mean, uh, I agree with Galia. I think he's going to be third, but I just wanted to see if you guys had a different like take on it. Well, listen, if you agree with Galia, I'm not going to disagree with you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, he like, came prepared. No, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I have stacks of notes. I'm over here with just empty cans and stuff. I don't know. Uh, no, but like seriously, I would, I would agree. I would say that you know, Kanate right now is going to be number three. Uh, I think it's only a matter of time until he's number two. Um, I think his his ceiling is too high. Um, unfortunately, as much as I love Matip and, you know, I'm going to like cross my fingers and knock on wood and all that stuff. I think there's, there'll probably be an injury at some point, um, for a period of time that sees Kanate in there at some point. And I think it's a matter of time His like I said, I think his ceiling's too high, but, but man, you know, Virgin Matip as a starting pair rolling out, that's, that's a good pairing. So. And I know like. Allison had to sit on his head, stand on his head, I should say, uh, towards the end of the game and stuff uh, to help keep the clean sheet. But, I mean, it's probably score-wise, we could not ask for anything better. I think we all gave Norwich a goal in our predictions, uh, thinking we would not keep that clean sheet. So that was definitely impressive. I just did not see that coming, knowing, well, first of all, we didn't expect Van Dyke, but also, like, you know, not having, like, Robertson over there, I thought that would kind of, like, uh, let them get one in just with the home crowd and everything like that. But um, let me ask you guys this. So obviously overall, when you look at it, it's like an ideal scenario, uh, winning three zero away in terms of performances, I already kind of like gave away one mine. Uh, the most, it's kind of hard to pick. Cause I thought, you know, everybody had a decent game overall. if not great. Uh, most disappointing performance. Are we all, Agreeing on this one too, Bickler. Let's start with you, so you don't afterwards say I agree with Galley. I'll agree. Yeah, with I mean, I think no we do all agree. It's definitely Ox who like was not only a ghost, but when he was involved, was a turnover machine. Did very, very little defensively that was worth anything. Um, and I would have, 
I think the reason that this was so disappointing is because we saw such a good preseason, right? Like if he'd had a terrible preseason or been injured half of the preseason and was is working his way back in, um, I think we would understand that. But we saw a dynamic, you know, somewhat revitalized Oxford, Ox Chamberlain going in to this game. And then we just saw 65 minutes and nothing. Um, and, and that was pretty, uh, it was rough to watch. So why do you think that is? Like, what do you kind of like allude that to? Because I felt I was like really optimistic and kind of like, you know, like positive in terms of him going into the season. I was like, hey, it's going to get back to the same old doc. I mean, he looked faster in preseason. He looked more agile, more direct. What do you think Bickler is? Why do we get, oh, it was just like, just had a bad game and maybe we should take it easy on the kid or. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've seen this. I don't know. We've seen this before. We've seen players come out, you know, like Joe Gomez is capable of doing this. He's capable of coming out and laying an absolute egg. Um, Navi has come in and laid absolute eggs, got pulled at halftime. Uh, so, I mean, these guys are capable of having just like, you know, basically uh, short disasters. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. Like to me, he's playing in a position that suits him. He's even though he's on that right side, he still tucks in a little bit, so he's still centrally involved. Um, he just it, it it's almost like he didn't get a touch early enough in that game, and then just got lost. But I can't really I, I can't tell you exactly what happened. I don't I don't know. What do you think, Gally? So that, let the record show I agree with Paul. So that you know, <laughs> but yeah, at least you don't have to agree with me. No one wants that. Just ask my wife. Um, the truth of the matter is, and it is exactly that. I think Ox is, is more of a substitute player at this point of his career. And I think starting, I don't think he expected to start that match. And when he saw his name was on the team sheet, I think he did get caught in his own head of where do I go? What do I do? Where at times at the end of last season, he'd come in, he'd make impact appearances. He'd get to use that energy and his power for 10, 12 minutes against tired defensive legs and minds. And I think what we saw is, is everyone was fresh and everyone was on equal footing and Ox was a step behind and a thought behind everyone on the pitch. And that included players for Norwich who probably don't belong in the Premier League. I think the most disappointing about the entire thing to me is like, so if you're in a match and you're clearly out of it and you're not involved and you're not getting the ball and you can tell like, you know, your first touch is off, everything you're doing seems like, to me, you do the things that you know how to do fundamentally and you put in an extra effort. And like, so for me, when I see him down on the right side and he doesn't close the ball down, like, it's like, that's the most frustrating thing to me, man. It's like, okay, you're not involved. You don't have the ball. You're not going to turn it over. Do, do the things that you know you can do. Like, that's just one-on-one. Defend, defend, use the sideline and close the ball down. And like when he sits there and lets a ball come in from, from the wide area and he's nowhere near the guy, it's really concerning to me. I, and I don't, like, like I said, it's, I, I don't know what he, where he was um, because he seemed like you're right, Gally. He seemed completely checked out. And yeah, it's almost like maybe it's in his head. I just feel like, you know, I just feel bad for him because you figure, I mean, this game this week was a huge opportunity for him. It's only going to get less and less chances up there with Keita having a solid game overall. 
Uh, you have Elliott who came in, and I think he's just going to get his chances here and there. Even in this game, he got like less than 10 minutes, I think, at the end, or somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have Henderson and Thiago on the way back. That midfield is going to be tougher and tougher to get minutes in. Curtis Jones was not here that this week because of the concussion. So he's going to get less opportunities. This plus maybe Golden. And I don't know, maybe he kind of knew that. And it kind of like got to him. He kind of like tightened up and just didn't play his normal game. Because it has to be, you know, the entire directness of how he played in preseason has to be part of the confidence. And knowing, you know, I go direct if I lose the ball, it, you know, the consequences are not as bad as, you know, you lose the ball and then it becomes a counterattack and you get scored on kind of thing. So, yeah, it was kind of disappointing. I just hope, I mean, because... I always talk about this, you know, in our title winning season, when you go back, he was a big part of that. I mean, it gets kind of forgotten, but he was a big part of that. Scored some huge goals and came off the bench and had some great games. So in some ways, he's, I think you're right, Gally, in terms of like, you know, coming off the bench, he could be a huge weapon uh, against like a tired defense with his pressure and going at them and stuff like that. So let's just hope it's just like a hiccup and uh, he gets a club hug and, moves on because we will we'll talk about the Burnley game at the end in terms of like what we expect out of that but before we wrap this game up any final thoughts Bickler in terms of you know something like we didn't cover or uh I mean we didn't talk about it much but I was very very impressed by Kata's performance I thought it was quietly a very mature performance I thought he created a very interesting partnership with Trent uh, throughout that game, even though he was opposite sided. Um, and, you know, he was creating almost a little bit, some of those Fabinho like dinks over the top um, from deep line positions in the midfield. And I thought he was, he was solid defensively. I thought it was a very, very encouraging performance for him. Yeah. I might've uh, subconsciously avoided that on purpose. Cause I don't want to jinx that shit. Anytime I say something good, something happens yeah, to the poor guy. You've got, but... like, you've got like Stockholm syndrome with Navi. It's all good. <laughs> How about you, Gally? I'd say if there's one underlying factor, and I hate this narrative, so I'm going to talk about it and contradict myself as I say I hate the narrative, right? I thought Mo Salah's overall play was at its highest levels. Like, I think we saw some of the best of Mo Salah, the touches, the take on the long Virgil van Dyke ball that he brings down almost over his shoulder with the outside of his boot brings it to his foot and turns to the byline. And I'm sitting there in a group of people watching like in an outdoor barn. And they're like, this kid's going to lose his mind. It's what happens. Just wait. Cause we thought uh, like a worldie was coming right there. And let's be honest, the Sadio Mane cross half volley that misses by two feet wide is like a goal of the year candidate. If it goes in, I mean, he took the ball off a half volley and almost put it ping into the bottom left-hand corner on game one. It's unbelievable. But the most important thing to me was not the fake layoff to Jota that he had no clue about, but he'll take the fantasy assist, and so will I. Um, But the assist to Bobby and the fact that he tried to lay that ball off to Mane late in the match to get Mane on the score sheet, knowing the other three had scored when he was clear in on goal and Mo Salah does not give up that opportunity, but he already had his goal and two assists. I think shows they figured it all out. He's going to sign his big contract. And I think he's bedded in to literally go down as a top 
four or five legend at this club. And I think we started to see he still has ways to improve and he's getting better, which is scary for everyone else in the world. Yeah, he was phenomenal. And I know, you know, the, he tried to pass the money, even amongst us, we were joking that man, like the time that he probably should have just taken a shot instead of passing kind of thing. But you know, the, the, sadly, all these things will be forgotten where he tried to pass week seven. There'll be something where he didn't pass and we'll go back to, you know, he's selfish and they're selfish and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the word is, you know, he's verbally committed to a contract as well. So we'll let's talk about that real quick. Uh, and then I kind of wanted to go to the league in general, what you guys thought of some of the stuff. So Henderson contract rumors came out today as it's going to happen about to happen with, I don't know how true this is, but with like Klopp playing a huge part in case, in terms of it could be, hey, this is one guy we break rules and sign regardless of age and stuff like that. Uh, so Bickler, what did you make of that? All these extensions coming up. I know it doesn't excite anybody, but I mean, we do have one of the top teams in the world. So securing these guys has to surely be, a huge step moving forward before we bring anybody else in. All right. So first of all, I'll say kudos to Galley to working in, you know, fantasy football in that last segment. I'm Mo. I'm sure he doesn't want to talk about how he smoked everybody um, in week one. Uh, but uh, congrats, Galley. You know, a lot of people probably missed that. I didn't miss it. So uh, because I'm a detailed well, there, there will be There will be more self uh, – victory laps done over the next 12 months if i do well and if i don't do well we'll never talk about fantasy that's the only self-victory lap i do will be remembering to change my lineup which by week five that will go down the drain so tim yeah tim's awesome until like you know mid-september um a lot like everton like that um but anyway so like we talk about contract extensions right we wanted to talk about the henderson thing and we wanted to talk about this transfer window you know, everybody's focused on the fact that Kanate is our only incoming player. Uh, I think quietly the work that's been done has been pretty incredible. I mean, I don't think people understand the fact that you're looking at the, the, the club is essentially taking this starting 11 that won everything 18 months ago, won absolutely everything, and then gone ahead and prioritized the key pieces by age. So you're looking at arguably the best right back in the world in Trent, arguably the best center back in Van Dyke, arguably either the best goalkeeper in Allison, arguably the best right winger in Salah. In the entire world, we're talking. And they've gone ahead and extended these guys long term. And like there's no, there's no like we don't like supporters aren't talking about that in mass because it's not sexy. Like we want the new toy, right? We want the new shiny piece coming in. But at, at the end of the day, that's not what makes this club. And when we talked about how what a great story Samikas is, right? What a great story Andy was when he came from Hull City. I, I want to cheer for guys that are 8 million pounds from Hull City, that are 14 million pounds from Olympiacos, and that develop into these amazing players. Because it's, that's much more fun. And that's much more fun to appreciate these players for the years that they gave us than some 40 million pound backup right back that we purchased from Porto. Right. I mean, like, and I think that's the thing that I have a problem with. And when we look at like transfers and stuff, we expect all these players to have undying loyalty for the club, but we have absolutely no loyalty to them. Uh, it doesn't like some of these players are outstanding players and, and we just, 
want to see somebody else because it's been two years. Like it makes no sense to me. Um, and I guess you're right. And I was going to go on a rant on it, but it was not planned. So um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I could always, I can always sense a Paul Bickler rants coming a mile away. I'm sure it's not. Pretty pretty I, I have another one to set up over yeah. here. Uh, I'll get that going. So I'll let you drink a little bit of beer to get ready for the next one. So Gally, I mean, I hate to say it's uh, probably said it more than enough times this podcast, but I agree with Paul. And I think, you know, even after we won the title, kicking everybody's ass by like 10 miles, people were still looking for, you know, more signings and should we bring Coutinho back now that he's a good deal kind of bullshit. Uh, I mean, is it just a new shiny toy syndrome and nothing else? Or is it just a uh, excuse to bitch about FSG and nothing else? It's what Liverpool supporters seem to do every year. They scream that there's not enough activity. Manchester City has signed one player. United has signed two. Liverpool has signed one and re-upped four of the most five important on their roster for four more seasons. Yet everybody wants to tell me that United is back because they signed a $100 million left wing the right wing, left wing, whatever you want to play, Sancho. And they signed a center back that Real Madrid was willing to let leave. Who's also had tons of huge mistakes, blunders, major blunders over the last couple of years. We're still better at all positions in the back five than United after spending all that money. We're stronger in midfield and I'd argue we're stronger up top. But anyone cares about is that you win the newspaper articles and the clicks. And it drives me crazy like it drives Paul. And one thing no one wants to talk about, Liverpool's payroll is higher than Manchester City's. And just so everyone knows, it was higher last year. It was higher two years ago. Because this club spends their money on their players and spreads it around. And the other club spends it on big transfer fees and exorbitant agent fees to bring in players like Benjamin Mendy, who cost five times as much as Andy Robertson and wouldn't start for West Ham right now. So for all this talk, we don't make as many mistakes and we buy strategically. They'll buy another player eventually when they need them. I'd rather they just keep re-signing our guys because they've already proven they can win. So let me get Paul set up over here. He had the beer. He already took a deep breath. So, Paul, uh, <laughs> uh, this is too easy. Uh, so, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, like Galley's saying, all those dollars people do not seem to see or appreciate. And somehow, and there is no denying that, you know, Klopp is good at making the most out of, everybody and getting the most out and creating a team. I think, I mean, we've seen him do it throughout his career. I mean, creating a locker room atmosphere, either selecting the players or kind of like, you know, uh, keeping the players that do fit and removing the players maybe that did not fit that mold yet. Somehow you always see the narrative as, you know, Klopp is winning despite FSG. So I'll set light, light the fuse. We'll walk away for three minutes and come back. It's all you. You're a brave son of a bitch, Mitch, and I'll tell you that much. Brave son of a bitch. 
So yes, and we've talked about this, right? Because like there is a stupid meme that was floating around yesterday on Facebook that was like all these players that we got, you know, Klopp essentially lured them in because they wanted to play for Klopp um, and we couldn't pay them the kind of money that all these other clubs can pay them. And it's just absolute nonsense. It's a fallacy. Galley hit it. We, we for, for years, we had the second highest payroll in the entire Premier League. And then with a lot of the rising incentives, we've basically passed City at this point. So it's absolute nonsense. Um, we play top dollar for top quality. Does Klopp have anything to do with it? Of course he does. Of course he does. He's a, a, an incredible leader. He it gets everybody to buy into a collective mentality. He creates a family-like atmosphere, which is really, really nice for players, especially the South Americans that have trouble adjusting to life in the UK. He does a lot of the things behind the scene that make people want to play for him. But Klopp isn't a fucking Santa Claus, okay? Like, in fact, Klopp, there's probably just as many players that don't want to play for Klopp because of what he demands out of people. Like, he's he is... He is an incredible, incredible leader, but he's also incredibly harsh. And so I, I don't buy this, this entire thing where players are jumping on paddle boats to come over and play for Klopp. Like straight up, it's an entire organization from top to bottom. Everyone des deserves collective credit. Most of our scouts are scouting these players 12, 15 years out on some of these guys. We were first inquired on Kanate when he was 16 years old. Like, I mean, you don't like, it has nothing to do with Jurgen Klopp at that level. Nothing to do with it. I mean, he sits in a boardroom and they agree on these players together collectively. But the idea that we win because of Jurgen Klopp in spite of our ownership is complete bullshit. And frankly, it's lazy. It's a narrative that's developed because it's easier to fit that into a narrative where we have poor owners when you put all the credit on the coach and the manager and none of it on the ownership. And football is a business. It doesn't work that way. All right. I knew this was coming because I saw that uh, post like floating around and I saw one or a couple of Dipper's comments and I could sense the anger through the letters. So, and I agree. I mean, it's just, I think it's part of the, you know, it's easier to say FSG out and just put all the credits to one person rather than kind of like split that two players, the coaching staff and the ownership I don't know why we don't, we just do not. I think it's just like the, like Paul says, kind of like the field agenda. But going back to what uh, Gally was talking about a little bit, I kind of want to also talk about the, the league in general. Obviously, the, I mean, United made, I thought, too easy of a job against Leeds. I thought that would be a closer matchup. I did not see Chelsea having difficulty in their game. But obviously, the biggest game of the weekend was the Spurs city game and somehow everybody's acting like city is done and over with because they lost that one. But I mean, anybody who watched that game, I know Gally and I were watching at the same time and talking about it. It looked like the first 25 minutes, like Spurs was not going to get out of there and it could have been two, three, zero easy is city with all this cane drama and stuff like that. Does, did that just game just show that, Spurs doesn't really need Kane, but City really does. Gally? Yeah, I think what it showed me was, was that Manchester City should have spent their summer making sure they could spend $100 million and secure Harry Kane and not sign another version of what they already have in Jack Reeves. That looked to me like a club getting rich off spending on expensive toys. 
because they basically bought a player they already have three of. And I he might be better than them, but he's not better than KDB. And he's slightly better than Bernardo Silva, but he's just different. Um, he is not David Silva, which is David Silva, which is what they need to replace. And all he's going to do is basically push Raheem Sterling out the club. Because what I saw in that match was Pep wanted his toy on the field, told him to play however he had to to make things. He played free. And he did absolutely zero work, which is why anytime a Liverpool fan or supporter talked about Grealish getting bought by us and would post in our groups and say, oh, Jackie G's type of player, he make everyone better. He walked right into our 11. He wouldn't get on the pitch with Jurgen Klopp as a winger, as a midfielder, as a false nine, because he doesn't work hard at all. And I think they have too many passengers on that team. I was like almost shocked to see how they played because they played like how Grealish was playing last year when he was the best player by far on his team where they were kind of giving it to him and be like, here, get fouled or, you know, here, see if you can create something. And it happened over and over again. And I was kind of shocked to see that for a team that kind of like thrives on, you know, the passing and the movement and things like that. But I what do you guys make of this uh, Harry Kane drama? I guess, Bickler, let me come to you. In terms of the need for City, like the same question I asked Galley. And then what is your take on it for a player to kind of pull a mini Coutinho, if you will? Well, look, if I'm going to have to go through an entire week of seeing Keira Knightley slash ben, like Beckham memes with Jack Grealish, I, at least they lost, okay? Like, um, here's my thing. I don't buy that this tells us anything about Manchester City. They start slow every year, okay? They start slow, and then they were 30 consecutive matches from January to the end of the year. That's what they do, okay? And, like, look, do, do they need Harry Kane? Like, it's like, oh, like, we're supposed to be like, okay, so this is what they need to get to the top. To get, Dude, there's 950 billion, like, there's, it's a 950 million pound squad on that field. And you're telling me? You, you, ha- you need Harry Kane? Like, if you spent that kind of money to field a team, you should be smoking people 5 nothing. I don't care what league you're in. Like, it, it, it makes no sense to me that, like, Harry Kane's the piece that puts you over the top at that at that spot. Um, do I like what Harry Kane's doing? He I, doesn't – I think we did, we did this a couple of weeks ago, and it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers other people because, for me, like, there's no loyalty to players. There's no loyalty from fans and supporters. There's no loyalty from the club. Um, And that's not to say that I'm an apologist for these players because they're getting paid handsomely. But like, to me, some of these guys have a very limited window at the top of their game to play where they want to play and to be fighting for titles. So for Harry Kane's right to go, I think Tottenham, like, look, you're going to get 150 million for him. Let him go cash in, rebuild around someone, have pieces that want to be there. I, it, it makes no sense for to me for them to hold him hostage. Um, I don't love the way he's going about it, but I think he's going about it the way that he – the only way that he knows that he can potentially get a move, and I can't fault him for that. I think it's basically Spurs' chance to do what we did with Coutinho. You know, be, yes. you know, get rid of somebody, get the money, and then use it to some crucial pieces that you know – your team needs. I just don't know if they're as smart about going about it. I think the thing with Kane with City in terms of a need comes 
kind of because of what Galley is saying. I mean, they went and signed a guy that they kind of already had multiples of, but they have no striker. I mean, you know, you have my freaking favorite uh, whiny face, Jesus, is the only like really actual striker, and he's not even like studying. He's on your bench coming in afterwards, whereas you have all these leash type guys up top playing. And I know if you know Kevin De Bruyne was out there, it's kind of like a scary combination to have Grealish going around with the ball till he gets fouled, and then Kevin De Bruyne sent his balls into the box. Uh, and then, you know, like get people to like just bounce off of him and go in. I mean, he puts the ball in certain places that just like just happens. That's kind of like a scary premise, I guess, going forward. But, uh, Gally, like, what do you make of because I, I do, God, what kind of a podcast is this? I do agree with Paul again, sadly, where not to be an apologist, but you know, I just don't know how else he would go about getting what he wants to get. But what well, do you make of it? So I'll take my I'll I will take the hard stance on Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane should be getting destroyed by Tottenham fans. He grew up there. He is theirs. He sang the songs. He did the dance. He literally does victory laps every time he scores a goal against Arsenal. And I'm pretty sure he's never paid for a drink in North London nor will he. And what he's doing right now is thumbing his nose at everyone in the club, including their new manager, the players in which he claims he cares so much about, and the club that he loves. And here's my point. When you hire your brother to be your agent, you deserve to be criticized. His brother has zero other clients. They negotiated a $225,000 contract for six years without a single exit strategy, not even a ridiculous release clause they could negotiate down. He won't talk publicly, so he makes the club be the bad guy. Everything's been leaked through the media, which is all coming through his people. And let's be real. He didn't show up on Sunday to on television or in the locker room support his guys at all. And Glenn Huddle can say he was in the stadium. There is no picture of Harry Kane in the stadium. No one knows he was there. But what we do know is that the supporters turned on him as soon as Sun stuck that ball in the back of the net. And if I'm Daniel Levy in Spurs today, I'm with both of you. Selling is the best option, but I have all the power. So I demand Harry Kane does one of three things. Speaks on the record himself about his intentions. Submits a written transfer request so he can give up all bonuses, transfer fees, and money due to him through his contract. Or accepts he will stay. Honestly, that's all he deserves right now. He's got to make the next shot. Then Levy can make all the money. But why give up your best asset to help a rival in the league? And to the city point, last year was an anomaly. I don't think a club will win the Premier League under 90 to 95 points again for a while. And I think Chelsea has showed they're going to score goals. City's got to score goals to win games. We saw it this weekend. Most goals ever scored in a Premier League opener. The refs changed. VAR is not chalking off goals. 
you're going to have to score. And I think if City doesn't get a number nine, they're not done. People who had picked them to win by 10, 12 points, this legitimately could be a four-team race for a long time, especially if Harry Kane doesn't look. Can't, can't we just agree that Galley's point <clears throat> may paint Harry Kane in a more sympathetic like I mean, what's worse, being stuck with a shite club or a shite brother? You know what I mean? <laughs> Great point, actually. And, and, and honestly, he really it, – it's an embarrassment that that guy negotiated a six-year contract after he once asked to leave. He re-upped and got no say or power. And if they say they had a handshake deal and Harry and Henry Kane – believed you could trust Daniel Levy after what he did to Bale and Modric, then they're stupider than any other two jamokes in England ever. So the entire life lesson today is you can't choose your family, but you can choose your agent. (laughs) That's why Erling Holland will be the richest football player to ever walk on the planet next year when he signs that deal and gets 500 grand a week at 22. Harry Kane will still be trophyless sitting in Tottenham on 225 a week for four more years. Yeah, I, that whole brother as an agent thing is just a stupid move to start with. I mean, just look around. There's a freaking reason, you know? And then, yeah, if you want to hook up your brother, just wants to sign a bigger contract, go buy him a house or some shit. But yeah, I don't know why you would just do it that way. But okay, it's good to have a hard ass in the podcast. See, Bickler, he just like freaking like railed on and made us look like softies. But no, for That's, once, for once, I was the bad guy. I'm usually like the, oh, it's all good. It's good. It's good. You know, what the, you know what this is? He hasn't been broken down by children yet, Timuchin. That is fair. That's one. There are no children. That's why I was so hard on Pots and Daka at the beginning of this whole thing. Yes, but I, I will remember say, that podcast. I, I will say part podcast. of this was, was I spent Saturday in our little uh, EPL kickoff that I've been doing for 11 years now with my best friend got me into the sport and and the guys that are all in my fantasy league and there are like six Spurs fans and they all take this we should just let him go if it's a fair offer these same guys right that were needling and digging into me about Coutinho and you're a small club and if a guy asks to leave goes to Barcelona when we stuck in and made him stay those four more months, we got what we wanted, and we turned our entire, you know, club around. And I think they could do that. Because you know what I saw on Sunday? I saw they have the best grounds in the world. And their fans can show up and help them win a match. And I also saw 11 guys on the pitch who played for the guy standing in the technical area. More than I've seen in a long, long time. Those guys looked like they were playing hard. I mean, Tanganga should have been sent off twice. They warned him, and he still was taking out ankles. Like, if you send me off, Nuno's just going to fat me on the ass as I walk by because I did my job. My job was to kick people, and it worked. So I, I, I think that Spurs would be smart to make the sale, but I don't think they will. I don't know why. I just I'm telling you, if they sell him for like, you know, how we did with Coutinho, Nuno can probably get like 10 Portuguese guys with that money and just make like a whole freaking brand new team. So I'm just sure. by, by the way, I don't think we didn't uh, notice that you somehow squeezed in the word fantasy once again yeah. as you were talking. You did well, my friend. Let's move. 
So let's, uh, I'm not even going to ask about your fantasy team for this weekend, but I will ask you guys about your lineup for the Burnley game. Uh, the word game out this weekend that they had like the secret underground game at the fields uh, on Sunday where people who did not play on Saturday obviously took some minutes and played. Uh, so Bickler, let's start with you because I know you're not going to mention fantasy. Who do you have in your starting 11 against Burnley at home? Uh, Danny Ings and – oh, all right, Liverpool? Yeah, okay. No, I mean, I, I think – I don't – I'm so out of the loop in terms of, like, I don't know who's going to – who is considered fit anymore because I thought that Fab was fine. So, like, <laughs> like I, I guess, like, Fab Thiago Henderson would be my midfield. But, like, I mean, if – it just depends. It really comes down to you in that midfield trio who is 90 minutes fit, right? Like, so I think Nabby would be fine back in there. I'd be happy to see that happen. Really, Milner and Ox, to me, are two players that I would rather not see in our starting 11 unless it's a tire emergency. So that would leave Fabinho and then, of course, uh, Henderson on the right um, if, if, if he's fit. If not, you know, Thiago, hopefully. And then that, that, mix, of, that mix of, like, Nabby, Thiago, Fabinho, uh, Henderson, right? Those are, like, the four that I would like in that mix for those three spots. Um, and I think the rest of the lineup sort of writes itself. I'd like to see some consistency in the back. So I'm fine with Matip and, and Verge back there um, again as well. Um, I'm always going to pick Bobby to start. Um, I don't feel like we need a Bobby rant from me on this pod. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, I think Bobby should always be starting when fit and available. And then of course, Sadio and Mo pick themselves. Yeah, I think we met the Bickler uh, rant quota for this week, if not for this Well, Gally's getting in on it now. I don't think we even have time. <laughs> I was, it is true. I got to start my own rant about some shit. Like you, we're in trouble. Now that uh, Finland is done, I don't know who the hell I'm going to rant about. But um, <laughs> so, Gally, who's in your 11? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to agree uh, with Paul to the fact that I'm going to make two changes in midfield. I would absolutely uh, retain Kata in his place. I think he earned it. I think when you give a guy a shot because he had a great preseason and then plays it and is your best midfielder and arguably one of your highest rated players from the whole 90 minutes, he never dropped off. I mean, I know he came out late, but I'm going to go with Navi lad starting in that midfield with Hendo and Fab uh, too, because I think Tiago is the, you know, you know, that lock picker that might come in in the second half against a low block Burnley and give you what you need. I think we're going to see a different um, Tiago this year. I think he's going to be a little bit more engaged quickly into matches. So if he comes on as a sub, I think he could be an impact sub or the key starter in many matches. And I'm going to give the same front three their start because Jota got a goal. Bobby came off the bench and got his goal. But I do agree with Paul. If when we're at full-fledged maximum capacity, Bobby Firmino is probably the first name on Jurgen Klopp's team sheet outside of Virgil and Hendo. So for me, you, you work your spine through. Um, but I think I would start Jota because, again, guy scores on opening day, has a good preseason. I think you keep rewarding that. And there's plenty of games coming up thick and fast. Yeah, I think I'm keeping the back four the same as it was. I don't think Thiago will be ready. I think Fab, and I 
think Handel will be out there, but I would not be shocked to see after the shift he put in um, Milner back out there if Handel is not 100%. But I would personally, especially at home, because of, you know, how he can move the ball a lot faster around and like, you know, switch wings and stuff, I would rather have Handel in there. And I do agree with Keita too. I think Keita should be out there, especially if you're going to... I mean, were you guys, by the way, shocked to see Burnley give up that much possession and lose at home? To Brighton? I think Burnley's going down. I wasn't... I wasn't surprised to see them concede that much position. I think Brighton played a lot better last year than their position on the table indicated. And Burnley, they do that thing where they just chuck it upfield. They, I mean, it's long ball. So their possession stats are always going to be pretty low. Yeah, it's Sean Douche football, who is another guy I just despise. But uh, And up front, I think I am starting with Jada. I think this kind of buys... You know, without the who's going to start, why is Jota starting over drama? I think it's kind of like eases Bobby back into action as well. Uh, and then he can come off the bench and kind of, I think it kind of helps Bobby as well. I was really excited for him to get that goal in so that we don't hear about this whole Bobby and goals drama and stuff like that. So final predictions, by the way, I never gave the answer for the Diogo Jota goal thing. 26 goals in total and 10 for Liverpool. So by being closer, I guess we'll give it to Galley this week. Once again, I should say. That's why he is good at fantasy people. So uh, score predictions. Bickler, let's start with you. Uh, I will go 2-0 Liverpool. Galley, what do you got? I'm going to go 3-0 Liverpool. I was going to go 3-1. I still feel like we will give one up in a stupid set piece or something like that. But With a goal from Chris Wood. Yeah, the, the usual. Do you have him in your fantasy league, Gally, uh, Chris Wood? No, 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 no. I don't put – I'll tell you right now. You will. You can scour Hendam Street FC's fantasy team on any platform you find them on, and you will never, ever, ever find a member of Burnley in the squad. Starting or on the bench. And now that I say that, I might have Brownhill on my bench as a 4.5 fodder in midfield. So, you know, you might not That's be able it. to believe what I say either. Captain in Tarkowski next week. Exactly. That's how you win. You don't give anyone any insight into the plans you have for your squad. The okay, truth so is you just get lucky and you follow way too much football and you watch too many games. Can we all admit this? It was kind of refreshing to have the five games at 10 a.m. back on Saturday because the whole them having independent games for every time slot basically meant that I watched 10 Premier League matches a week, which was not helping like my weekend health of uh, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, four matches, and then two on Friday and two on Monday. It wasn't helping either my wife or my work. I was going to say, you didn't want to say about your weekend health. It's really your marriage. Yes, it's the absolute <laughs> truth. She'd come out to me all the time and say, don't you remember when you would tell me why this sport was the best? Because by one o'clock on Sunday, it was over. And I'd be like, the Liverpool plays at three today. And she'd be like, I'm like, the pandemic, Kelly, the pandemic. <laughs> it's COVID's fault. It's and I'm very lucky, though, man. I got, I got a wife that travels with me to watch the games. She actually has a fantasy team 
And to be totally fair, she picked her own squad this year. And I was really proud of her because she too did not put a single player on Burnley in her squad. Now that you said that, you know what the ultimate would be is her finishing above you in the league. Now I have a team to follow and root for. Once I start forgetting to do my lineups, at least I can follow a team that is changing their lineups regularly. Let's go, Kelly. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, everybody, so- don't forget to change your freaking fantasy lineups. I will stay on board at least for another month, I would think, before the midweek game starts. And let's hope to get another three points. Next week, we start with six points. Maybe another clean sheet. You never know. Thank you all for listening. And check out our post-match this week. Uh, it will be myself and two other contributors to be named. Let's see if I can get these guys. If maybe Gally is not watching a game for his fantasy or something, we can get him online too. Thank you again for listening and see you guys next week.